Uh, welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. And uh, today we have Clem Chambers on the podcast, who is the CEO of Online Blockchain. Back to the world of uh, cryptocurrency again. Welcome to the show, Clem. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start off with Online Blockchain itself. Can you give us a quick summary of the company and, and what it does? Online is an incubator, has been an incubator since the beginning of time. I think we're number 23rd oldest AIM company. So one thing we're good at is survival. I mean, you know, I think thousands of M companies have come and gone in that time. And it started out as an incubator. And, you know, we've been beavering away, doing bits and bobs. Um, and we built ADVFN. That was our that was our first major and up to recently only success. <laughs> but, you know, with um, incubating, um, you're going to not um, hit the sweet spot um, all the time. But a few years ago, um, we saw this crypto stuff. And, and first of all, we went, holy cow, we need to buy some of that. And it was like $80 a Bitcoin. Wow, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to, I want to buy a million of those things. I don't want to buy, you know, eight, well, anyway, leave that one alone. Came back in 2016 looking at it and went, I think we missed a trick here. This stuff is just mind-blowingly amazing. It's going to be huge and change the world. And therefore, we started uh, to um, work on it uh, with, with our, our people. And um, we started a, a, a few projects and some of them were highly successful, but had major problems like nobody would let us do business. And we had that with one of our projects where, you know, we simply couldn't get um, anybody to clear um, our, us in terms of credit cards, which was it's still a fantastic project. And it's still people want to um, use it and it would still make a lot of money if only we could enable it to um, fit in with the current banking system, which absolutely hates crypto with a complete vengeance. And we could get the right um, jurisdiction for it um, illegally, which again would be um, very, very difficult in this world. But nonetheless, we've been incubating various things and we built something called Umbria, um, which is a runaway success right now. And that is a bridge. Now, I'm not sure that your viewers um, will know what a bridge is. We, we are basically acting as um, VCs, um, administrators, advisors to this project. And it enables you to take your Ethereum and move it to uh, another uh, blockchain, um, Matic, or like Binance and soon Avalanche and various other places, and move your tokens backwards and forwards between um, these, um, these chains. And there's lots of new chains, Solana and blah, 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 there's loads of them. And people who've got assets on one would like to move them to another, especially as the cost of transaction on Ethereum is drastically expensive. I mean, you know, whoa. I mean, I do some pretty big crypto transactions and it makes my eyes water. I mean, I've got a nice chunk and it's earning, you know, pretty fat interest. But when I go to actually get my interest, it's $240. And I refuse to have a transaction cost more than 1%. So I have to sit there and watch it build up and 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 build up, um, which is not, it's not happy. But on Matic, the same transaction would cost half a penny, not $240. So you want to move your yield farming to Matic, for example. And to do that, you have to use a bridge. Now, our bridge is by far the cheapest and by far the fastest because we're, we're not we're not stupid we're clever in fact this is what we've what has been done here is exceptionally clever 
and therefore it's um, gone ballistic. The actual token itself, of which we hold a, a fairly nice um, chunk of it, has gone from 50 cents and it hit 350 last week. I mean, it's down to 250 now because um, the whole crypto world is imploding. But nonetheless, and that is all backed actually by revenue because the bridge actually makes money and, and the bridge is now making um, fat six figure incomes, which we share with, with the group and, and the team. So that is now an exciting area. I mean, it's literally fizzing up now and it may well be fizzing up now because everybody wants to move their Ethereum somewhere and sell it for, for fear or whatever they want to do, um, stable coins. Um, but if they want to get it on Matic or they want to get it off Matic, because if you go and you take, say you want to swap your Ethereum to USDC, and I hope I'm not running ahead for your average listener here, but if you want to take it from a token that does funky stuff and put it into a stable coin that never moves, which is equivalent of selling it and taking it to fear, one would hope. And you've got all that joy on um, on Ethereum, but you're gonna it's gonna charge you 300 bucks to convert it. Well, you can get it for 10 bucks on Tomatic through our bridge on Matic for Nuppens. Bring it back to Ethereum for 10 bucks. You save yourself 250 bucks. And we've, you know, taken a little bit of a clip as it's gone um, round and about. You know, very, very much financial services styly. So that's all developing. And of course, you know, you look at these cryptos and you go, wow, that's gone up 50 times overnight. But in fact, it's been going for seven years. So, you know, we're very early days. So the word on Umbria and its bridge is spreading out there, trickling out. And people do like to save money, even in crypto. So the market is coming to us and, and that's going really, really well. So that's the big hairy deal for OBC right now is Umbria, because its ability to um, roll out over lots of different chains is, is very, very large. And it's a significant engineering task. But the uptake of the bridge is strong, very, 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 very strong. Uh, and we said as much and we keep saying as much. And it's very, very exciting, very, very, very exciting, because unlike so many cryptos, it does have a use case. It does have an income. It does have a cash flow. It does have a capital element. And, you know, we, we, we love that. And the other thing is people can come in and go, well, we're going to put liquidity in the bridge and we're going to earn. We're going to earn like um, point, um, 0.2 or 0.3 of, a, of, a, of the transaction. So if someone puts 10,000 uh, USD across and they've got, um, say 10% of the bridge and we're charging 0.3, they'll get 10% of 0.3 of that transaction. And that way, and that way, and that way, and that way. And you can look at it and go, oh, I made seven cents just now. Oh, I made another six cents. Oh, I made a dollar. And, you know, that soon builds up. And that's that's a real thing. And then you can just go clickety-click and get it. And um, so that is a way that people with crypto uh, can earn just by making liquidity for the bridge so the bridge has the money to put from one side to the other. And so, you know, it, it's a, a very benign thing because um, the team makes money, OBC makes money, the, the liquidity providers uh, make money. Uh, if you put our Umbria token into it, you get a bonus. So you make more money by owning Umbria. So if you buy Umbria and put it in, you make money. It's got a yield. It's got a yield. It's got a revenue. Up goes the token. So the tokenomics are, are very strong on it. And, you know, I keep having to resist the temptation to just load up on it because you know one has to be diversified in these things but it's a very exciting moment to have a crypto come out from an idea come into the world and do something that people agree on mass is is something they want to um trust which is because people are putting huge sums across 
Mm. And they have to trust us when they put it in one bin, it's going to pop out the other. <laughs> I mean, um, and that's a big, you know, that's a big leap of, of faith that people have to go through to, to get to put through, you know, tens of thousands um, of crypto through our bridge to get to the other side. And as time passes, people get more and more trust and, you know, try it out with 10 bucks, try, try it out with 50 bucks, try it out with 500 bucks, try it out with 5,000, etc. So we're in that emergent phase, which is incredibly, incredibly exciting for me. I, I mean, as us working as that incubator and you have all these clever people, young people, and, you know, you can be a grumpy old man and, and give them, you know, and patronize them and, and pretend you know what you're talking about. It's wonderful. I mean, as I say to them, I wouldn't patronise your son, but this is what you need to do. <laughs> do Do you think that's been one of the inherent problems with with the cryptocurrency infrastructure up until recently? I mean, I've been talking to hedge funds, for example, who are in you know they're dipping their toe into cryptocurrency markets, and their complaint has been, you know, if they are diversified across many different types of tokens and currencies, and they want to move it. Frequently, they're in situations where they're almost having to come out of the crypto into a fiat currency and then go back into something else on a different platform. It doesn't work like the normal capital markets infrastructure where you can just move stuff across between brokers or in and out of the banking system quite easily. And and this this solution that you're talking about here is part of now what's required if, if this entire market's going to start having the the highways it requires between the various nodes. Well, you see, I think the key thing to realize about crypto is that, and and all things um, with uh, technology, is it's computing plus something. So um, the internet is computer plus in information. Well, crypto actually is computing plus politics, which makes it the most powerful thing of all. And the reason it's computing plus politics is that it's extremely difficult to cheat it. And you can't go, I mean, look at politicians. They go around lying their face off all day long at every turn. As I said of Richard Nixon, if, you have, if they ever catch him, he could lie out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. And if he ever caught himself telling the truth, he'd lie just to make sure he could still do it. And, you know, that is politics. And that is the Achilles heel of politics. And everybody knows everybody's lying. And that's really not good. And everybody, I mean, you know, I didn't say that, even though it's on video of me four hours ago. It's fake news. Well, you can get away with that in the world of words, but you can't get away with that in the world of mass. So, and that's why a lot of politicians don't like it. And the reason why um, central governments don't like it is they can't cheat you of your money. They can't just go, oh, we're going to inflate you away now. Oh, you know, you lent us all that money. Well, yeah, it's only worth 10% of that now. You can have some new pounds. It's one to it's one for every hundred that you got or whatever. I mean, I'm a numismaticist. I was actually a professional until I had to, um, you know, retire. And um, history is full of, of kings borrowing money off people who are nagging on it. They just borrow until they can't borrow it anymore. And then they come up with a nice scheme to mean they don't have to pay back people. I mean, Edward III just kicked all the bankers out, which happened to be Jewish people, out of the whole of England. That was his solution to his debts. Bugger off to another country. Go away. Go away. So what, um, do, you, what do you think about these central bank digital currencies that we're hearing about now? It seems like every central bank worth its salt has now got a project for its own digital currency. Is, it, is this really just a sort of me too... Uh, FOMO 
um, FOMO. Um, you said it. You said it. You saved me from saying it. It's just FOMO. Look, th th there's there's a there's a hierarchy of brain deadness, okay, and and the sharpest tip of the spear is always the retail guys, okay. And yeah, you know, there's a mixed back and sometimes they make mistakes, etc. But the people that move, well, actually, the real sharp tip of the spear are the criminals. They always go to the new technology first. And then you get the early adopters and then you get normal people, blah, blah, blah. Then after after humanity kind of gets engaged, corporations get engaged and they're always late to the party. And then finally, it's government. Because government is the dinosaur where they where the brain has a thought and it takes a minute to get to the, to the cranium. And they're always last to it. And they really do not want to know about what they're talking about. So they go, oh, yes, we're going to do one of those. We are. <laughs> yes, oh, it's very scary. Oh, we might have to do some work, take some risk. Oh, yeah. And they will not take risk and they will not sign up for much work. So crypto, is that going to happen? No. I mean, you know, if you look at corporations right now, how many of them actually are in crypto? It's the freakish, strange corporations that are there, not the mainstream. You can't go to a petrol station and buy oil with crypto. You can't get any credit card companies to even talk to you. In fact, worse, they'll cut you. They'll ring up their banks and say, cut you off. Yeah. So, you know, it's corporate FOMO, institutional and crypto, as we're seeing now, is coming unstuck hmm. really, really fast. And the only reason they got into it was so they didn't get fired for appearing that they didn't know what they were talking about. So now it's going to get unfashionable. They will exit that faster than you can say, you know, Bob's your uncle. Or it's Friday half day. They'll be, they'll be gone. So then it's just going to be the retail guys and all those late um, enterers will get burned and go, oh, what is this crypto? I've been conned. Mummy, do something, mummy. Oh, government, mummy. Oh, and then it'll go through its cycle and off it will go again. But government is the last to, to, to go. And only when it's got a gun to its head, because as I say, it doesn't like work and it doesn't like risk. And crypto, boy, is crypto a lot of work. Boy, is crypto a lot of risk. And it's computers. They do computers so badly, government. I mean, you know, hey, we've all sent you the wrong tax bill for the 15th time. That's governments and computers. And this is absolutely the leading, bleeding, vicious edge of computing, where one slip can cost you your whole you know, money supply. Oh, yeah, they're going to sign up for that one. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, after all, if you had a C, watch them call, I can never get all the letters in the right order. If you had one of them and some plucky Russians have found a loophole in one of your routers or got your password, what's he going to, the chairman of Bank of England is going to have his um, private key hanging around his neck, is he? And, you know, they get in there. Oh, boy, you are toast. So I don't see it because, OK, digital currency. Do you want to know a digital currency? It's called the pound. There's one called the dollar and there's one called the euro. 95% of all money is digital. In fact, probably 99%. It's all digital. How many people's, how much money that people have, if they're not in debt, that is, is actually cash. It's like, isn't it? So then the rest of it is digital, isn't it? So a digital currency already got one. So what are these digital currencies? Oh, and by the way, they're all recorded on lots of computers everywhere anyway. So what's the difference? Programmable money. Oh, yes, the government's going to do programmable money. I can see that coming. Yeah, no. So, but are they going to say, oh, no, we're too slow and stupid to compete with um, blockchain. No, we're not going to do that. No. They're not going to say that, are they? They're going to say, oh, yes, yes, of course. And we can do it better. Oh, so much better. By the way, you stop that. 
it's our turn now to do it better. What do you think, talking about that, actually, what do you think about the recent rumblings being made in the UK, in the US, um, some European governments um, talking about how they are going to curb the um, the way cryptocurrencies are being promoted, particularly by, say, you know, big celebrities and uh, football clubs mentioning their names. Is that what you mean? Like, the... like that's really important. Yeah. Like, like um, the Chelsea football coin is a big deal. I don't think so. And the Kim Kardashian t token, I'm, I'm, I'm there is one, isn't there? There was one. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, you see that in the top thousand, do you? So you know, it's just it's just media, isn't it? Oh, it's just them pandering to the media. Oh yes, we're going to get this under control now. Yes, we are. <laughs> oh, by the way, we've got a financial crisis. We're going to go on holiday for two months, like during the euro crisis. Yeah. Yeah, we're so worried about our whole currency collapsing. We're going on holiday for two months. So, you know, it's not, I don't know. It, it's just, it's not maybe that there's the will to do it. It's just the work rate of government is so glacial that, you know, by the time one of their icebergs falls into the sea, you know, there's, the dinosaurs have perished. It, it, it's, all, it's all happened. I mean, look how long they took to respond to the internet. It was like a almost a generation, right? And they're still not doing it. How long have we woken up every day to find three people trying to rob us through our email or hackers, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? What have they done about that? Is there fifty thousand policemen chasing hackers in the UK? Because there should be. Because every single person I know is getting someone's trying to rob them right now today. You know, her brain not working fast enough. <laughs> Just going back to online blockchain itself, obviously the, the Umbria Bridge is working very well for you at the moment. It's making money. Um, it looks like it's got some, some great prospects ahead of it. Um, you're not just, that's not your only project. You have you have some other projects as well. And online blockchain is not a, it's not a one-trick pony. It is a, is a, a diversified. Well, I, I tell you, I'd be quite happy to be a one-trick pony. If, if Umbria goes the way it's going, and it, it got any, anywhere near the top 100 um, crypto tokens, everybody would be singing hallelujah. Yeah. But you're right. But I'm not sure I can talk about the other ones because they're, they're, not, they're not in the public domain. And that would be, you know, we'd have to have to, um, whatever the word is for, for clearing, cleanse, yeah. if, we, if I was to mention all that stuff. And um, cleansing with an RNS. And, um, you know, we're always working. On new things and i'm always excited by them and one in x works because you know it, it it's like all incubation it can be a bad idea but if it's done well it can be good mm -hmm. and if it's a good idea and it's done badly it'll do badly and you know when you have a good idea and you do it well then it's great and i think we've got some good ideas but you know right now if we wake up at the end of this week and bitcoins at you know around twenty two thousand, which is quite possible then everybody will be crying in their beer and saying, it's all over for crypto. No, he's finished. It's a con. Oh, money. But of course it won't be. It'll be a couple of years or maybe even less than a couple of years. I mean, we had that double top. I was expecting what's happening now to happen the first time round, but then Afghanistan blew up and China um, did their social clampdown, which had lots of people running for cover, particularly the people in Afghanistan who've stolen hundreds of billions from America. You know, hey, have some money. Get 20,000 policemen to make your society stable. What do you mean you stole the money? 
what do you mean those 20,000 you hired don't exist? You've been paying them to yourself. Oh, and you've got it all in US dollars trying to get that on the helicopter. One of the ministers left $5 million in cash on the airport tarmac because he couldn't stuff his helicopter with any more of his stolen wealth. But you can imagine he might have had quite a lot of um, uh, Bitcoin in a certain part of his anatomy as he went out. <laughs> what do you I mean, what do you make of countries like, you know, China and Russia clamping down on, on Bitcoin and, and other you know, cryptocurrency mining in general? Is that just creating opportunities for um, other people? And is it um, is it the fact that at the end of the day, it's well, very, I mean, very I do think to clamp have... down on it anyway? I do think you have to realize that in this modern world, there is so much lying. It's a pestilence. And Russia saying they're not they're not going to be doing Bitcoin. It's like them saying we're going to do a lot of it because they'd be absolutely mad not to um, use their energy to do Bitcoin mining. I mean, after all, the Americans are trying to stop them exporting their natural gas to um, Europe who desperately want it or somehow don't want it, but want it. Yeah. So what are you going to do, your natural gas? Why not be a Bitcoin miner? Why not be a um, an Ethereum proof of staker or whatever? Why not use that energy to do computing uh, into crypto? Because, you know, crypto is just not going to go away one form or another. It's just a, a move that's increasing the ability of humanity to compute because this technology that's been driven by Bitcoin mining is amazing. I mean, and it's also exceptionally similar to to artificial intelligence the calculations that have to be made and you know why they always say oh well you know um crypto mining is going to bore the oceans and all that apart from the fact that and um, banks and their server farms and their twenty-five thousand bank bank or is it two hundred fifty thousand bank branches are already boiling the oceans apart from that it's very like ai and ai there ain't going to be nobody saying we're not going to be doing ai Oh, no, don't spend more energy on AI. Let's fall behind our enemy in artificial intelligence. That's the one that's going to boil the ocean. And that's the one that's going to have everybody, you know, burning everything possible to make um, computers go whir. Because if you aren't smarter than the other guy, you are gonna. And, you know, China goes, oh, yeah, well, we're going to dig up all the coal now and we're going to, you know, have AI better than yours, America. Yeah, what happens next? Clearly. They ain't going to say, oh, no, we're going to ban artificial intelligence because the one with the artificial intelligence is going to rule the world, isn't it? Mm. And same goes with crypto. It's all part of the same continuum. Once the genie's out of the bottle in the technology, you've got to steer it positively, but you can't put it back. Well, you can. You can put it back in the bottle. The French tried it with the French um, with the Industrial Revolution, and that's why their king got his head on a stick. Yeah, and they also... Before they decapitated their king because the industrialists were fed up with being messed around by the aristocracy, before that occurred, they had 30 million people. 30 million people in France, while England had 6 million. Now, England's got 60 million and they've got 60 million. Their population has only barely been able to double since they tried to stop the Industrial Revolution. And it's going to be the same with crypto and the same with AI. You can turn yourself as the major power in the world into a backwater by fighting that and you can be a backwater as the uk kind of was before the industrial revolution to the global power within 120 years because you adapt technology you embrace technology and you embrace change so you go from a backwater to the global power if you embrace 
crypto and AI. And you can go from a global power to a backwater if you push it away. So, you know, that's the decision that countries will have to make because if they don't do it, it's a massive efficiency increase crypto. That's the thing about it. It's a massive efficiency increase. And, you know, if it's more expensive to do than the alternatives, economics will do the alternatives and it won't achieve and it won't succeed. But it's that it is cheaper that makes it work and it is cheaper and that's why it works. And it might use a big lump of energy when you look at it head on. But when you see a high speed train coming down a high speed line with all its motors going like crazy and they tell you that that is more using less CO2 than, you know, somebody in his little car bouncing around at 80 miles a gallon. It's because the CO2 was somewhere else in the chain. And ultimately, it's the cost of things that kind of underline how much of all the bad things that everyone wants to fight against cause. And, um, you know, if it was more expensive to use crypto, then use the alternatives. People would use the alternatives. I mean, there's obviously some countries like China has been cracking down on, on the crypto mining. We've also seen countries like El Salvador embracing Bitcoin and, and trying to introduce it as um, a second currency in the country. Do you think, what, what do you think is the appeal in, in Latin American countries generally for things like Bitcoin now um, as, as an alternative currency? And will that give, do you think that will give them a bit of an edge because they're already moving ahead with this? The thing about crypto, well, South America, if you think we don't trust our politicians, imagine what they think about their politicians. And if you think we're worried about inflation, you imagine how worried about inflation they are, seeing that that's, that's a continent, I think it's a continent, isn't it, South America, just about. It's a continent which has suffered massive inflation over the last 150 years. In fact, they almost define the whole concept of inflation. So, you know, the bug in the idea of having a crypto in, well, unless you're in Venezuela, of course, um, the bug of having a proper proof of work crypto is that you can't inflate away your problems because look, if you're a country like Turkey and um, it's kind of difficult to get your tax in because people like just go no or pretend or just have, um, you know, um, low people in high places. So they don't high level of corruption. They don't pay their taxes. Right. So how do you how do you get taxes to pay for your government? Well, it's really simple. The tax is inflation. You just print the money and hand it out to your people to spend. And that increases your money supply and lowers the value of money. So rather than have a tax on people's direct income, you know, sales tax, income tax, all that, those taxes, you can't collect them properly. So you just print the money and it becomes a, a, a flat tax that everybody suffers. And of course, once you get a taste of that, because you can always ring up tomorrow and say, oh, yeah, could you do me another couple of billion? I've just had a great idea. It's a very corrosive tax because it's easy for politicians to buy votes with it. And people in general are innumerate. And all you've got to do is say, oh, it's not us. They did it. They did the inflation. It wasn't us. We didn't do it like they're doing now. Right? Oh, it's not us. No, it's world inflation. It wasn't us. We didn't do it. We didn't increase our, our money supply by 60%. Oh, we did. Oh, well, that's not the reason. It's them over there. It's them over here. It's it's dislocation in the supply chain. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so now we're concerned about it. Now it's here and it's obviously coming because we made it. Oh, we're going to. Mm, yes, yes. Ah, we're going to put up interest rates, scare you a bit, scare the inflation away. Yes, we put it up a, a quarter of a percent, et cetera, et cetera. Well, by the way, we're still printing new money, but we put interest rates up. That's what countries in desperate straits or with weak political institutions do. Well, we're in 
you know, economic dire straits in the West because we just blew up 20% of our net wealth um, with COVID um, lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to save the old people from dying, which they would have um, with COVID. And, um, you know, everyone agrees that really that it should have happened and, and that we should have saved all the old people. And they have been saved, many of them. And everybody's prepared to pay that tariff. Well, here it is. And you can't pay it by saying, oh, no, we're going to cut our budgets. We're going to cut national health. We're going to not build trains. We're going to not build bridges. We're going to cut the doll. We're not going to do that, are we? Austerity, yes, you can see that coming. Not. So the opposite way is inflation. And it always has been. End of the war. End of the first war. End of every single war, frankly. When you have a economic um, problem, you print money and you, you fill up the, the chasm of financial um, disaster with new you know, wet money. And that causes inflation. So state debt drops. Everybody thinks they're getting more money and, until it's too late. And um, anybody that's economically active gets a real, you know, gets a real rooster booster. And um, anybody that sat there being um, uh, economically, uh, you know, inactive gets, you know, gets their life destroyed. But they say, well, you're you're economically un un inactive, so you're not helping us out of this hole. So tough luck. You're the ones that are going to pay for it. And someone's got to pay for it. Someone's got to got to bridge that gap of all that lost productivity, massive lost productivity. I mean, good grief. I mean, just think of the multiplier of, of London buses. How much money goes into London bus drivers' pockets that then go down the pub and blah, 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 all that cycle, all that multiplier that we're taught at the 16 in economics. That all went away, didn't it? And it's still not back. So that loss of wealth, it's got to be made up somehow. Well, rather than marking everybody down, having everybody's houses drop by 30%, which would be very popular, no doubt, you make them go up 30%, but actually their value has gone down so much percent because the, the value of the money in people's pocket has fallen. And no, very few people can calculate that. You know, they feel it at the supermarket. Oh, that cost a lot. What happened there? But it's not like a punch in the face. And that's why governments who can't collect tax or have an economic problem always create inflation. It's not me. We're not doing it. No, 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 no. And then once that process has gone through and it's going to take three or four years, they'll suddenly pull the lever on it. Because if you keep doing it, you get into all sorts of problem, problems. But once they've once they've got GDP to to the national debt back under 100 percent or back nearer 80 percent, then they'll pull the lever and then inflation will suddenly go because they'll be back to balance again. And you can't have your deficit, national deficit, much over 80 percent and uh, unless it hits your your ability to grow. And governments need growth to do their politics. So they need growth and then therefore they need the, the national debt to be under 100, much closer to 80 to actually be for them to consider it's in balance. And obviously now it's way out of control. It's up at 110, 120 percent. So they've got to have inflation to bring that balance back down because the tax goes up because, you know, the value of money goes down and prices go up. So the tax goes up and you're paying more on income tax, even though you haven't got a, pay, a, pay, a real pay rise. And, you know, their their tax take goes up. Yeah. And maybe they don't spend quite. They spend more, but less than the inflation. So it seems that they're spending more. And over a period of years, it all comes back into balance again. And then suddenly you get a Thatcher moment when they turn the printer presses off. But not yet. Not for some time. 
what's your i wanted to ask you about online gaming and this big sort of mushrooming in activity there as well which we've seen over the last couple of years obvious reasons a lot of people stuck at home global pandemic but there is a role that is being played by crypto within the online gaming ecosphere so to speak where where games are almost you know generating currency themselves and and, and people are actually starting to be paid to play so to speak what's what's your what's your feeling on that sector is that something that looks interesting i have a confession to make online obc the online in online when we floated the funds would go what's an online what line are you on please explain this to me it was all massively multiplayer games and i've been doing that since the 90s and for my sins and this will sound unbelievable but you can go and search on the internet and find it to be true i put the word massively in multiplayer games for one reason or another back in the early 90s when i was working with people like aol on multiplayer games and uh, new kinds of multiplayer games came along that weren't only had eight players in and they were ruining our brand which had hundreds of people playing so i injected the word massively just to Put, try to put some space between us and the dooms that had only eight players at once in them. So I've got, you know, if you chop my arm off, it's a multiplayer games all the way through. <laughs> and um, it's another interesting development that crypto is bringing about. Because if you look at the history of modern, modern finance, modern economics, it's all about turning illiquid things like your house, like your car debt or your student loan debt, into new money real quick i to to liquidate or make liquid illiquid assets now when you go play a multi-user game and these things are i mean since i left the the, the scene a few years ago have gone you know they're incredible pieces of of just incredible and life is better in these games for many people than it is in real life and you go in those games and you run around and you get the sort of extreme pain and all that and you spend hours doing it that asset for your character has no monetary value outside of the game and the only people that own that are the game themselves and they don't like you selling it well many of the games don't but there's always been a market for game items and gold from world of warcraft on places like ebay and etc 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 but when you've got people spending for you know 10 20 30 percent of their lives working effectively in these games because they it, it's not work when you enjoy it right um this enables those items to actually be um, turned into liquidity, into money. So these items actually are meaningful and have value, and now they can be traded and bought and sold. And that's a, a new uh, font of wealth. It might sound ridiculous, but it's a new font of wealth. And, you know, that is very, very exciting because now you're turning people's leisure into something where they can earn by their hard work. So I want to go in a game and I want to slay a dragon. I don't want to spend 40 hours getting the swords to do it. I go in and I pay 40 bucks and I get the sword and I kill the dragon. And I pay an individual, not the company, not a Chinese gold factory, which is a company. And maybe it would be companies, I don't care really. But I just bought it to play that game. And if you go on mobile games, there's a lot of pay-to-win games where they basically use operant psychological brainwashing and conditioning to make you a zombie and pour all your money into these games for virtual strawberries and which is very evil actually i think a lot of the mo of these mobile games are actually works of great evil because they do that well this wave enables people to go in earn their strawberries and then pass them out 
and to other people and sell them rather than some evil rapacious brainwashing company that has psychologists turn you into a moron with their ringing bells you know just like fruit machines effectively and um so i, I think it's an exceptionally good development but it, it, it's here that's the kind of area that obc is looking at i, I won't say any more than looking at it and it it, it it is the ability to have currency pass in and out of games so as, as a game developer, you get your you get your money because you just take a piece of the um, of the transaction fee. But you go in and you win the win the um, um, sword of extreme pain by by slaying the griffin with a bot of Coca Cola or whatever it is in that game, and you get the sword. Now you can sell it for twenty five bucks, and you know I think that's absolutely great, absolutely great because there are lots of people that are prepared. Well, you know, I'm a kid at school. I'm bouncing a, a, an orange ball around the place and I can get it for a hoop at 50 yards before, you know, it. I'm paid 20 million bucks a year to do it. I'm in front of a load of people too fat to manage. So, you know, I think that's it's just an, an, a, a development, further development of esports or any other sports or any other function of spectator is happy to watch a great guitarist play the guitar rather than spend his whole childhood plugging away at one. That's more wealth because you've turned something that's illiquid like a mountain with gold ore in it, into liquidity via gold bar. And the technology to do so is crypto. So once again, crypto unlocks a huge amount of money. And just finally, from your perspective as a project incubator, what sort of, and I'm thinking here about someone who may be listening to the podcast right now who's in the space, what sort of future projects might you be looking at? What, what are you looking at in terms of the criteria uh, for a project that you would be interested in? in well, look, when I started out in software, I was 18 and I slept under my desk for a decade. And some of my ideas were great and did well. Some of my ideas were rubbish and did well. Some of my ideas were great and did badly. I did one game, I sold 500 copies of it. And, you know, 20 years later, people were saying it's the best computer game ever written, which is not correct, but I was flattered. But I didn't sell any. So it's not your idea. It's your execution. It's not even your execution. It's your determination. And anybody that's going to bleat about um, work-life balance and I want to go to Ibiza, you're doomed. In this sphere, there is no sleep. There is no weekends. You have to have no fear. You have to have no remorse. You must not stop. And then everything is in your power. And that's the sort of people we look for. There's, you know, there's no room for lightweights. There's no room for for dreamers. There's no room for um, bull. There we are. I've truncated that word <laughs> because, you know, this is a very, 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 very real. It has to work. It can't be hacked. You have to maintain it. It has to work 24-7. It has to be a piece of code that is at the forefront of human endeavor because software programming that is the leading edge of of what humanity has achieved since it climbed out of africa so that's a pretty pretty interesting and difficult and exciting and thrilling and scary and an amazing place to be but it's not for the um weak need it's not for the um dreamers it's not for the i've got a great idea can you do it for me it's none of that and you know i suppose our teflon underwear and years of, of being beaten and scarred. That gives us a good positioning in that zone because we are survivors. And if you can survive in crypto, you're gonna do great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Clem. 
that that's been really fascinating and uh, we'll be paying uh, close attention to the future progress of online blockchain as well